This morning, uh, we have the honor of having a guest speaker with us today. Uh, Dr. Terry LeBlanc has been a man that I've been getting to know over the last uh, probably year, year and a half, couple years, Terry, maybe. And uh, he, he's been become a, a friend, a teacher, someone that I've learned from, someone I enjoy a, a, a coffee with every once in a while over at Lucky Bean, and, and we get to have some great conversations. Um, Terry is a, a theologian. He is um, a teacher, a founder of an organization called Nates, an indigenous learning community, where uh, he, he teaches and leads this organization that helps to provide um, uh, post-secondary and doctorate level theological education in kind of a, an indigenous context. And, uh, Terry has been someone that I've, I've kind of been looking for a, a chance to, for us to learn from, uh, together. And, uh, I'm, I'm honored to have him here today. So would you welcome, uh, do, let's, let's have a big outdoor cornerstone welcome to Dr. <laughs> Terry LeBlanc. Oui, we exit book. Bon matin. Good morning. Good to be with you this great morning. Um, I've never been at this place in the seven years that we've been back here in the East, so it seems a bit auspicious. Or maybe by the time I'm finished speaking, you might say suspicious, but. But uh, it's it's really good to be here. Um, I've been waiting for Tyler to invite me, uh, but he's been suspicious. We do have a good chat at uh, Lucky Bean every once in a while. Um, I'm married to Bev. We live just south of town here on St. Mary's Road. Um, Bev and I have been journeying this uh, journey of marriage for, it'll be 50 years this coming October. Uh, I was five and Bev was four when we got married. Uh, that'll give you a bit of an indication just um, uh, how long it's been. And I do apologize if you get these these uh, bumps in the sound system. I'm ADHD, so movement is important for me to maintain some level of focus. It's probably why you've noticed me when I'm driving, uh, either my motorcycle up there or, or our little car. Uh, movement is important, and sometimes I move a little faster than I should. Um, so forgive me if, if somehow that has been your experience. So Bev and I have been journeying these 50 years, or close to. Um, we have three children, Jennifer and Janine, who are mirror image twins. So it's as if they were standing looking at one another um, and, and seeing themselves in a mirror. One's right-handed, one's left-handed, one's right-brain dominant, the other left-brain dominant, one has a right part, the other has a left part, and so on. And, and so they've been that way through their lives in everything they've done, including at the present time where they're studying at two different universities for their PhDs. One is at the University of Alberta in the Indigenous Studies faculty, studying the role of patron St. Anne on the lives of Mi'kmaq women down through the ages. Uh, these last 400 years, and uh, Jennifer is, uh, that's Janine, and Jennifer is studying at Queen's University, where she's looking at the intersection of traditional kinds of music, traditional indigenous music, and contemporary stuff, stuff that I don't understand or necessarily like, um, as it connects to indigenous youth, uh, particularly millennials. Uh, our son, Matt, um, has been... Uh, uh, the director for a program of indigenous youth and young adult-driven community development work in indigenous communities around the globe. Um, 
where he's worked in Canada, the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, West Papua, um, and also uh, the Philippines, uh, where he spent about 30% of his year each year. Uh, he was most recently, um, he most recently left the Philippines after just a little over six months of incarceration. He had been accused of, uh, uh, promoting insurgency and, uh, charged, um, under their, under their, uh, laws, um, and imprisoned for about six months. And we worked for that length of time to get him released. He's now in Canada. We're grateful for that. Um, and he's on a motorcycle trip across Canada. He's currently in Edmonton, Alberta. He left here two weeks ago. He's in Edmonton, Alberta, where he's visiting his sister. But he's visiting his staff and colleagues and working colleagues, volunteers, and, of course, some uh, friends, family, and donors to the work that he's involved in. Uh, and it's part of a healing journey, but it's also a bit of a vision quest. He's trying to get a sense of, where's God taken me in these days um, after six months of uh, what was pretty challenging time. Um, I, as Tyler said, teach uh, theology. I direct the North American Institute of Indigenous Theological Studies, as it was originally known, now simply Nate's, an indigenous learning community where we offer four graduate degree programs and a PhD program in indigenous theology, mission studies, community development, and so forth. Um, it's It's been an interesting journey. We were most recently accredited by the Association of Theological Schools in North America, which accredits all of the higher-level theological uh, educational providers, Uh, the first in their 105-year history of a program uh, designed, developed, delivered, and governed by indigenous people. So that's a little bit about about me. Uh, You'll notice that I uh, pulled out an eagle feather here. uh, my Miguel name is Kitbul, which means eagle, um, and I, I carry this feather as a reminder of the holy and the sacred. Um, attached to the feather is a, is a red piece of cloth that I put there many, many years ago when I was in Australia and shared stories with Australian indigenous folks there, and we talked about the common bond we experienced, this bond of faith and this bond of the indigenous experience globally, which uh, many of you, perhaps, if you uh, are a student of history, will know better than some. Um, and, and so I, I attach this here because we're talking about our common bond in Christ. And so I put this red piece of cloth, which is now getting a little tattered and worn and a little, little faded. I attach this cloth here to remind me when I pick this feather up that people to whom I speak people who I have the privilege and the, and the great opportunity to speak to and in some way share a bit of my journey are part of that common bond. And I, and I just want to uh, thank you for being here this morning to listen to me um, and to participate in this uh, service. As Tyler was praying this morning um, about the Afghanistan situation, I was put in mind of the fact that the human journey irrespective of whether it's Canada, the United States, Europe, Middle East, Africa, any country you could name there, India, Southeast Asia, or anywhere else, the human journey has been a journey of conflict with one another. It, it, isn't, it isn't requiring much of us to look at our history as a, as a human community, regardless of who we are, where we come from, to recognize that our journey, our common journey, has almost always 
being a journey of conflict. And this morning, I want to root this in a biblical text and experience for you to help you realize the call of God on our lives to shift that journey, to make it into something different. Now, in Acts chapter 15, some believers in Jesus from the sect of the Pharisees, and if you know the biblical stories of Pharisees encountering Jesus at all, you know that they're the lawyers, they're the religious lawyers, they're the ones who feel it's their obligation to ensure that nobody transgresses the commandments and the laws and the customs of Judaism. And so these lawyers who have come to faith in Jesus, legitimately it would seem, come down to this place called Antioch. This is where believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, are first called Christians. This is where the first Followers of Jesus are called Christians, and it wasn't a good word at the time. It was like, Christians. It was not something really cool. Quite the opposite. So they come down to Antioch, these, these legal beagles, concerned about what faith is going to look like in Jesus going forward, and they say to the Gentiles, that'd be you and me, They say to the Gentiles who are turning to Jesus, hold on a sec, stop it. Full stop, everything halt. If you want to come to faith in Jesus, you Gentiles, you must first be circumcised, you men, and you must be compelled to obey the laws and the customs of Moses. That doesn't sound like much. I I mean, maybe circumcision, but sort of, I don't know. But, But that's what they say. There are some things that you need to do first. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but what they actually mean is this. If you track it carefully, if you look carefully at who the Jews are at this point, and please don't take this message as anything anti-Semitic. It isn't. This is simply a reflection on what happened in this time. If you look at it carefully, what the Pharisees who are followers of Jesus are now saying to the Gentiles who want to follow Jesus is this. You must become like us first. You must look like, talk like, walk like, act like, think like, pray like, sing like, dress like me. Like us. That's what they're actually saying. They're saying that if you want to come to faith in Jesus, you must first become Jewish culturally and spiritually. Read the text, Acts chapter 15. It's an amazing story. It's the first culture clash in the entire text of Scripture in the New Testament. It's the first culture clash for the church. It's the first time where some people who are believers in Jesus are saying to other people who want to become believers in Jesus, these are the requirements first and foremost. You men be circumcised and obey the laws and customs of Moses. And lest you think this is just about the Ten Commandments that Charlton Heston brought down off the mountain, it's not. It's not about just the Ten Commandments. It's about everything that the Jews over the centuries had gathered together in teachings, interpretations, applications, opinions, and ideas about what it meant to be in an authentic relationship as followers of God as a people. And if you think this is a unique story that quit there, think again. Think again. 
within a hundred plus years of the decision that was made about this, it shifts. Now let's go back to the decision. Peter and Paul and Barnabas and others who are hearing this challenge of Jewish believers to the Gentiles say, hold on a sec, that's not right. No, 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 that's not what God's expecting of us. And they press to have their decision changed. And they press so hard that they take it up to Jerusalem, to this first meeting of the Jerusalem Council. It's kind of like the Three Rivers Council. Only they were probably... No, I won't say that. So they go up to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem Council, and they present their cases. The believers from the sect of the Pharisees, those lawyers say... This is why we believe, we think, we understand that these Gentiles must first become Jewish before they can become followers of Jesus. They present their case. And Peter and Paul and others, they present their case. And they say, hold on, no way. We have not been able to maintain our own commitment to these laws, these customs, these ways of behaving, these ways of acting. We've not been able to do that. Why would we want to place the burden of that on these new people? So they discuss it. Good council meeting. Lots of conversation. And they make a decision. It's a simple decision. And they say, it seems good to the Holy Spirit. It seems good to the Spirit of God and to us as people to lay upon these Gentiles who are turning to Jesus No greater burden than three things. Four things, actually. The fourth is pretty clear. Refrain from blood. Refrain from meat strangled. Refrain from meat sacrificed to idols. And refrain from fornication. You Gentiles, if you do this stuff, you'll be doing great. And then they say, go and journey well. They sing a hymn, just like we do at the end of every service. And then they go off, and they live life. Four things. Refrain from blood, meat strangled, meat sacrificed to idols, and fornication. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you went to Sobeys and asked the butcher about their spiritual habits? Eh, probably not. Okay, when was the last time you went to the packing plant? Or, or, the, or the abattoir and, and checked on how that animal, the roast of beef you're about to consume, was dispatched? Probably not. Did you check and see if, I mean, other than thumb on the scale kind of stuff, did you check and see if that meat was packaged well? Probably not. You probably weren't concerned about the quantity of blood in the meat, other than the fact that it flavors it and makes it a little tougher. Those are probably not things you're concerned about. But it's interesting. The Jerusalem Council said, here's four essentials, four requirements for you Gentiles who are turning to Jesus. Refrain from blood, meat strangled, meat sacrificed to idols, and fornication. You probably don't pay attention to those. Why? Because that in the scriptures, it said these are requirements. Now, here in PEI, we have some requirements for driver's license, right? If you, if, you, if you don't meet all of the requirements, vision test, road test, sign test, written test, all that stuff, if you don't meet all those requirements, graduated license and all that stuff, you don't get a driver's license. It's a requirement, essential. No do this, no get license. It's quite simple. So, here are four requirements that Jerusalem Council laid down. 
we don't pay attention to three of them for sure. How come? Why not? Well, as you look at it, I mean, I hope we pay attention to the fourth one. Right? I hope we do. Sometimes I wonder. But I hope we do. But when you look at it, it's about how do we get along? How do you Jews who are concerned about meat sacrificed to idols, who are concerned about blood, goes back to Genesis 9, who are concerned about how do we bring Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus into a place where they can respect and honor one another, treat one another with dignity and care and concern and compassion? How do we do that? Well, here's a, here's a minimum of what I think we could do, says the council, to get along. And so the council says, do these things. Respect one another is underlying all of it. Treat one another with dignity and, and, and courtesy. Don't get in that high horse place where you say, if you don't look like, talk like, walk like, act like, think like, be like me, then you can't possibly be a follower of Jesus. And it'll be okay. We'll move on into the days that God has for us in a good way. Sounds pretty clear. Seems simple. And yet, you know, within 150 years, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, the tables are turned. And within 150 years of the decision of the Jerusalem Council, Gentiles who are followers of Jesus are now saying to the Jews, you have to stop being Jewish. Don't you know that you guys killed Jesus? Don't you know that? And anti-Semitism creeps into the church. Well, it actually doesn't creep in, it parades in. And becomes the dominant way of responding to Jews, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, for the next hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But what's more important, well, not more important, but equally important, is that that becomes the way in which human beings treat one another in the church down through the ages. Look like, talk like, walk like, act like, think like, be like, pray like, sing like me. Or there's something wrong with you. What's more, that kind of idea is what has driven human conflict down through the years. You see, we talk about fundamentalism in a religious sense when we listen to stories from Afghanistan and the Taliban. And, and they are fundamentalist. And they are deeply rooting their fundamentalism in their religious beliefs. But ladies and gentlemen, we only needed to look south of the 49th parallel over the last four years to see exactly the same kind of thing manifest in our neighbor to the south. It wasn't any different. When you saw religious fundamentalists of the Christian variety sitting in pickup trucks with their AKs or similar and rifles parading through Washington, D.C., that was no different. Not one bit different. Now, you can throw some stones at me if you feel like it, but it wasn't any different. See, that's the human condition. Conflict. You've got to look like, talk like, walk like, act like, think like, be like, pray like, sing like me. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. And we think about that when we think about what it means to follow Jesus. And that's not what it is. We follow Jesus by faith. 
Like there's nothing you're going to do that will make you better and more fit for God prior to coming to faith. And when you come to faith, there are things that you should do. But they're not about creating faith. It's because you have faith. There are things you should do. And it's treat one another with dignity and respect. Be in right relationship with God. Be in right relationship with one another in the human community, male and female. Be in right relationship with one another in the human community and in right relationship and relatedness to the rest of the creation that we're a part of. Sometimes that's a hard one for people. But you see, as I teach my theology students, there's never been a time in human history where human beings individually or collectively all across the globe have ever done more for the rest of creation than it daily does for us. Stop and think about it. When you got up this morning and had your breakfast and your tea or coffee, or for those of you who are a little older, perhaps something else, along with your pills. I I mean, these days when I get out of bed, the snap, crackle, crackle, and pop that I hear is not my breakfast cereal. It's something else, right? But, But when you got up this morning, something died. I don't care if you're vegan, vegetarian, or omnivore, carnivore, it doesn't matter. Something in creation died to feed you and give you life. Something died to give you life. That's how interconnected we are as human beings to the rest of this creation that we're part of. See, to be in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another in the human community, and right relationship with and relatedness to the rest of the creation that we're part of. See, that's, that's really what the Jerusalem Council was saying. That's really what will sort out the human conflict equation that we constantly trip into, irrespective of who we are, whether you're a Mi'kmaq like me or whether you're whatever Tyler is. I don't know. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll ask him later. <laughs> See, it doesn't matter who you are. This is a human equation. And, and followers of Jesus should be able to solve that equation in those three ways. Right relationship with God, right relationship with one another in the human community, and right relationship with and relatedness to the rest of this creation that we're a part of and we are dependent upon to give us life. Father, help us. We sure need it. We're weak creatures. We two-leggeds of all of your creation, struggle to live in a good way. We wrestle so much with our own desires to have others look like us, think like us, be like us. We struggle when people are different than us. We want to cause them to conform to our image and likeness, not yours. Father, help us with that. We need your help. Help us to treat one another well in this human community with respect and dignity and courtesy, honor. Like the scripture says, preferring one another in honor. Help us to do that. 
Help us to look to you who are above us and around us and dwelling within us. Help us to look to you and treat you with dignity and respect and honor that is due only you. And help us to look out upon the rest of this creation we're a part of. This beauty that we're a part of. And treat it with respect and dignity and honor and courtesy as is its due as well. We ask these things because we're weak and need your help. In Jesus' name, I hope.